0: I think we're looking at specific cultures. There's a lot of like in America, like uh, this whole like uprising of like being vegan and it looks like a certain way and we want vegan food becomes more important than a body. I mean, there are people out there who are all about being vegan, but the second we talk about Black Lives Matter, they're not about it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you need to care about people the same way you care about animals. And then we'll have a conversation because there are so many countries that just don't have the possibility of being vegan.
1: Hello, world. Welcome to This Moment Podcast. On this week's episode, you will hear from chef, food activist, wellness advocate, urgent and eloquent voice, Sophia Rowe. Sophia hails from East New York, Brooklyn, and she'll talk about equality, identity, as it particularly pertains to food. As always, with my dear friend Marcus Samuelson in Harlem, USA, and myself, Jason Diakite in Stockholm, Sweden. Big things. Say, hey, how you doing, Marcus?
2: I'm good. You know, family's all right. You know, Zion is good. My wife is good, but baseline is secure. Yeah, baseline is there. But mentally, it, it it's rough and and uh you know, I would say it's very on and off, you know, I was very excited last week about Kamala Harris, you know, have a strong uh, African-American woman with, you know, roots from the Caribbean and India and, you know, makes this really incredible stage, you know, I thought that was, that was like positive and then, or incredible actually, you know, but, but then you also, you know, the whole Jacob Blake thing that happened and You know, it's frustrating because we just want this to be over with. And I mean, both racism and
1: COVID, you know what I mean? Both of them. And the fact that it just never ends. I mean, COVID has only been around for the past six months, but uh, systemic racism and lethal or near fatal, brutal racism has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. For centuries. I mean, you can even
2: see Jason in in sports and in culture. Like last night, all the sports leagues stopped. So COVID didn't stop the NBA playoff. Play Racism did, right? And in the contrast, you right now you have the Republican convention, and um, you know it, it. It's it's more a reminder. It's like turning on Nixon, 1968. You know what I mean? The co words, the coded language of law and order and our suburbs gonna get brutalized uh, th- those are all code words and uh, code words and we know that and you know
1: we know what that dog whistling means um, to be tough on crime uh, just just in a modern sense you know Nixon started the war on drugs and just like George W. Bush started the war on terror it's it's the, it's it's similar dog whistling I would say
2: yeah. It's been, um, anyway, um, tell me about, is, is, is Maxi hitting the water? Like, like, tell me about some contrast to that. So the, summer, I the, summer,
1: the summer has been good. I had my first kind of continuous uh, vacation because I haven't been touring. So I could be in, you know, I, I, I come from the south of Sweden, from Skåne. I could spend, I spent about two weeks there with, uh, together with Maxime. Uh, with my parents, my my sister, my uh, my nephew and niece, and my my fam and, and my dear friends down there. That's the first time in like 20 years that I spent, you know, like 14 days in a row in Skona. And and it, you know, it really awakened my... Ever since I moved from Skona, I felt like I, I won't be moving back anytime soon. But now after having spent like two weeks there, it kind of rekindled my love for... For that part of the, I mean, I always have love for that part of the country, but I could see like how I also could have a life in that part of the country. So that was that was dope, just on a personal level.
2: And they must have been like, "Jason, what are you doing here in 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 August? They have, <laughs> they're, they're not used to see you at this time of the year."
1: They they all know. I think I think it was just kind of uh, uh, you know, for my mom and dad, they're you know, my dad's turning eighty this year. I'm really, wow. you know, Marcus. I'm really hoping. I'm working on him to get him back on the podcast. Yes, it, it's not as simple as you would think. What do you mean? He well, he's mainly talking about he should have his own podcast, and you know, so. Uh, but I know how uh, I I got such good feedback from people from our listeners after the. Uh, I think it was the first episode that we published yep. uh, that he was a part of. I was like, dad, you got to come back.
2: But you can't argue with that, though. He he should have no, his own no, podcast. No.
1: He definitely should have his own podcast. So I, I wrote the book, A Drop of Midnight, that I turned into a stage performance that was supposed to premiere on March 30th at Harlem Stage. And for uh, pandemic reasons, got postponed. Now it's going to premiere October 2021, which is a far way off. So, I've kind of had to take a deep breath that 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 um project is still you know very much alive the The relevance of what i the relevance of what I'm talking about in the stage performance is unfortunately uh, more poignant than ever in a sense. But so wondering what I could get busy with other than you know recording a new album and doing some of the other side projects that I'm involved in. I'm like, okay, let me concentrate on getting my dad's film uh, premiered in or shown at the uh, African-American Museum, the Smithsonian in D.C. Uh, sometime next year. So that's one of the goals I've set. So so really, you know... Uh, I'm all for him having his own podcast, but I'm definitely gonna do what I can to make sure that his work that he did, you know, he 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 made a a film called For Personal Reasons in 1973, and it's uh, starring um, Morgan Freeman's brother, uh, and it uh, it's about a man who who uh, who's frustrated and and angry. At the oppression and police violence, and he decides to kill a cop. So that work from 1973 still kind of echoes in in today, and is is uh, very. It's a, it's an it's just a a document that shows how long these feelings, how long uh, uh, the lid has been on these feelings that we're seeing like now lately in Kenosha, and uh, so that's what I'm looking at. Uh, uh, for the nearest, you know, couple of months. Well, speaking of busy,
2: I'm going to, I'm going to speak, I'm going to bring it back into you. Well, I'm, I got the opportunity. I'm going to speak about urban architecture at Harvard this fall. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting project because when my book comes out, The Rise, you know, all most of these chefs are in urban environments. And what does it mean to be a black chef? you know, during COVID and post-COVID. And, you know, it's very, so I was lucky enough to connect with Harvard to give give a talk up there. And um, we're going to also connect it. I want to bring it back. I want it specifically connected to this moment. So the listeners is going to be able to have access to it. Right? Wonderful.
1: I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, brother. I
2: mean, you know, my rider list was, this is what my rider list, you know about rider list, <laughs> Jason's rider list I know list all is, about riders.
1: So r- riders is what you, when you're going to perform or when you're going to, you know, do something at a venue, you send them a list of, your list of demands, what you need to get the job done.
2: I only had one demand and I was like, please okay. connect it with the universities in Africa and promote it so students in Africa cool. can learn about architecture and see themselves possible as architectures. Um, yeah. So we're going to connect it with uh, University in Lagos, Addis and Joburg.
1: Dope. That's so dope, Marcus. No, but seriously, when you say architecture, of course the first thing that comes to mind is buildings, right? Buildings, squares, public spaces, but when we look at architecture and what it is as far as structure, it's just it's just very deep and I really look forward to hearing what you're, you know, what you're going to offer the students not only at Harvard, but now
3: Marcus,
1: I know that you did an interview with Sophia Rowe, chef, wellness advocate, such an eloquent voice and such a brilliant thinker, I must say. And uh, how how did you, how do you know Sophia?
2: Well, you know, the great thing with the food world right now is that you can enter it in so many different ways. And Sophia does not have a traditional chef background, meaning that she's gone to super fancy cooking school or, or, or France or whatever. She she cooks and travels the world. And uh, she's been posting these videos and just grabbing my attention because her videos, the way she delivers is super strong and her food is super delicious. And I love new different food interrupter. And that's what she is. She's a true inspiration. And guess what she does it for? Him? She does it back in like East New York. That's where Mike Tyson is from. Do you know what I mean? To be a health Uh, advocacy from East New York. You know, for me, it's just like, that's what the world needs, you know, just like people interrupting the space. And full disclosure, you know, this was earlier in the summer, so it's about four or five weeks ago. But you know, what Sophia talks about, I think she's a young entrepreneur. She's not intimidated by the challenges that we all have, and she's pushing through. And I think we all need a little bit of uplift and advice from wherever it comes from, and if you are that person that thinking about, maybe you're in a career change, maybe you lost your job, maybe you know COVID set up these new changes for you. Sophia, for me, is an inspiration. She's really a bright star.
1: Marcus, let's listen to the conversation you just had with uh, Sophia. Rowe. check it out, peeps. Well, I wanted to ask you because you make
2: you know you're a chef just like me but your food take is so amazing because it's all around health and well-being how do you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got there
0: so my background's pretty gnarly i, I don't want to go too far back but my parents i you know i was a foster care kid my mom is a substance abuser so was my dad He died before I could meet him. Um, So like, I never was around healthy food. That wasn't really part of my life at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to be a chef, to be honest. It wasn't even what I wanted to do. I was a college dropout and just needed a job. So Mm -hmm. I got a job at this Vietnamese restaurant (laughs) because they hired me. And then I worked all over the place. I went to culinary school in California, dropped out of that, you know, like didn't really reach sort of healthy food until I had my own health scare. I was almost 24 years old. And I had a tumor that I had to get removed. And it was fine. I'm healthy. I'm fine. I'm great. But it was just sort of the genesis of me like needing to care about my body and just sort of reframing how I wanted to cook. The only healthy vegan food that I saw out was like weird alfalfa sprouts and like seed crackers. Or I could eat or I could just or if I wanted to have Ethiopian food, I could have Ethiopian food. But other than that, there really weren't options in 2009.
2: Thanks. Thanks for the shout out. You really don't have to do that.
0: (laughs) No, but it's true.
2: We take it, take it, take it.
0: But this is a big part of the work that I talk about, this idea that this sort of like invention of eating healthy belongs to a like white person. Like Mm -hmm. I just I don't I don't think that that's true. There are so many cultures that they don't call it veganism. It's just. They call yeah. it eating, you know, Iraq. like
2: it's a normal. in Jamaica. You
0: know, this is just, this isn't a statement as much as it's how they are.
2: This podcast was started with Jason Diakite, uh, a friend of mine. He's a rapper in Sweden. And uh, myself, where we are as two creatives, uh, basically most doors for us were locked, right? Like all of us, we were up in, against this challenge. And I find you're an amazing Inspiration, but also an interrupter in the space, right? If you would have thought about this from a linear chef school or whatever, I don't think you would have landed on that food that you're landing on. So I wanted to bring you on so people can really find inspiration at this time. How do I navigate, how to provide for my family, myself, but also this is an opportunity to start something new. So what gave you like the guts? And what did you say? You know what? I'm starting, you know?
0: Yeah, it's true. I think there's this idea that we wanna try to have ourselves fit at certain places and in certain tables. And we hear that all the time, like I'm really building my own and I like it a lot. (laughs) I don't really feel like I need to. Nothing is linear, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And the most exciting, like I feel like I've learned so much and I am who I am because my experience is not linear. Um, And there are so many wonderful things you can do with food. Food is a medium. It's It's like paint. You know what I'm saying? Like to say that there's one way to kind of to do it. It's just, I don't know, it's garbage. I also think like young people have really exciting things to say about food right now. Yeah. There are young chefs that are just doing really incredible, amazing things with the tools that they have. I live in East New York. I, live, I don't even have a grocery store in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, like I have a bodega, so I have to get creative. You know, like my position is less like. Only eat organic. Only be vegan, and more like use what you have. Be resourceful. Be creative. Be intuitive. That's more how I feel about food. You know, like I can make a meal out of what I have because these are my options.
2: I'm hoping my wife is hearing me right now because we have those. (laughs) So, and channel that. Channel that. The other thing I wanted to ask you, what we share. uh, Um, you know, um, my sister was, uh, was um. Foster child, and me and my sister, my other sisters are adopted. So you come from very strong backgrounds. When you think about it, from the culinary landscape, Japanese, Frenchy, and then of course Brazil, that encompasses a lot. I'm from Ethiopia, and then, uh, but adoption kind of removes you and then brings you back to it. How have those backgrounds sort of impacted your food?
0: Hugely. Um, because Mm -hmm. I think it was for me really wanting to learn who I am And in so many ways, like I think about like colonization and black people in America and they're just really not knowing where they're from or who they Mm -hmm. are. You know, it Mm -hmm. took so much work for me to find out that my grandmother was in Guam when Pearl Harbor happened. And then she had to flee because she would have been put in an internment camp if she stayed and she went to Brazil. And that's where she met my grandfather, you know, and my great, great, great grandfather was a slave from Angola. Like it took so much time for me to figure that story out. You know, and I think that for me, that's been part of, I guess that's part of why like food equity and like this sort of intersection of food and agriculture and environment in the racism conversation is so important to me because I am directly impacted by that. My dad was, uh, He I never met him, so he died before I could meet him. And my dad was my Portuguese. He was my Brazilian Thai, right? Okay. Like that's my... Yeah. He's, that his mom was japanese like you know she tried to take care of me but my mom wasn't really about it like it it just was complicated you know what i mean like it was just complicated
2: well i don't think people understand that sao paulo has the largest uh, japanese uh, population outside japan it's yeah so the nisse so the nisse culture in sao paulo is real you find it in design you find it in food and even when you think about such a throwaway simple concept that people probably enjoyed like let's call it Sushi samba, which is like kind of the just distilled version where you can kind of go and eat that flavor-forward uh, sushi, that comes from a place. People think, yeah, yeah, we're just gonna go to sushi samba. That comes exactly from the Nisei culture from Sao Paulo. That's essentially where it comes from.
0: Absolutely, you know? yeah. I tell people that all the time. I'm like second largest population outside of Japan, obviously being first. Yeah. I say it all the time. We're like really? I had no idea. And you go there and you see it. So like being in Brazil and seeing a face that reminds me of my face, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that's also, that's what I mean by like that perpetual stew. Like it's, my life is just those, one of those things that I just keep putting things in. The soup never really ends, right? We just keep adding yeah. things in. Um, and I think it was in my twenties that I was like, so if you've got to just figure out who you are because you literally don't know who you are. Um, and I don't really have anyone to ask linearly. Yeah you know, Um, and so through that food was really just, oh man, I mean, I just, I remember my first time being in Japan. I stayed for like a whole month because it was just like, what a moment, right? And my and knowing that my grandmother's from Hokkaido, which is super north, which like isn't the easiest place in the world to get to. (laughs) But you know, (laughs) so, so it's just like, you know, kind of discovering who I am has just been this really great sort of impetus for food in general. And also how like a lot of these places um, whether you're talking about Brazil or whether you're talking about Japan, there is so much sort of intersection in foods, in sort of bone broths and the way that people eat and rices and stews. And it's as much as the cultures are separate, they're also like not in a lot of the ways, like a lot of yep. the similar, very, very similar, similar sort of stuff. So...
2: No, it's it's layered like really, and it's complex, just like really, really good food, right? It is. You know, think about the slave trade. Brazil is the country that had the most... Um, slaves and and it's very very complicated if you go you go to a place like let's say outside uh, boston where you have brazilian capo verde and portuguese culture all in one and obviously they share the portuguese language but it's it's very distinct different communities
0: i went out of my way to like try to adopt certain things like i remember being my young 20s being like i'm gonna do brazilian jujitsu like i'm gonna so i have a blue belt which is hilarious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, well, I don't know why I have that, but I do. Like, I just got in this phase where I just wanted to like figure out who I was, you know? And yeah. Japanese food for me was all about the art of subtlety. Like, mm-hmm. I was really trying really hard to create tenderness and subtlety in yeah. food. And I think that um, the work that I've done in sort of Japanese food and in sort of culti- cultivating that experience within myself has done a really great job in incorporating subtle flavor into things. Yeah. Big America is a lot of big stuff, big bold, big in-your-face flavor, and I think it's sometimes really nice to create nuance. And mm-hmm. so, so that was my goal with sort of Japanese flavor, and then also like working with meat and understanding meat. I think that meat was something that I was really intimidated by in my early twenties, mm-hmm. and now it's something that it's like I'm I'm so conf- confident and comfortable with it because. And I don't even eat it. I don't even eat meat, but I'm comfortable yeah. and confident in it because I understand it, right? I understand the the narrative there with meat, supply chain, et cetera, which I think is really, really important. I think we're looking at specific cultures. There's a lot of like in America, like uh, this whole like uprising of like being vegan and it looks like a certain way. and we want vegan food becomes more important than a body. I mean, there are people out there who are, all about being vegan. But the second we talk about Black Lives Matter, they're not about it, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you need to care about people the same way you care about animals. And then we'll have a conversation because there are so many countries that just don't have the possibility of being vegan.
2: I wanted to ask you because I think this is a really, really, really important what you're doing. A, you're broadcasting, you're in East New York, right? Which is not, you know, for me, when I opened in Harlem, it was all about claiming and changing the trajectory. who has the right to good food, that building an aspiration that great food can have an address, and you're not going to tell me where the address is. Uh, so you being in an area just like mine, that has food apartheid, essentially, you know, that just like you said, there is no grocery store. How how does it take, how do that take? How do you think about the terror of the place you're in? as you do in your work, that is extremely healthy.
0: I mean, that's the thing. It, my work is extreme. my work is supposedly you're like, oh my God, you're so extremely healthy. I'm like, I live in East New York and I make it work. I do it. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about the privilege of like, I am an able-bodied woman who can mm-hmm. get on the train, three trains to go to Union Square farmer's market, right? Like mm-hmm. I have the ability to do that. But there wow. are people here that do not. Why is this one area? Why do I have a farmer's market here? You know, mm-hmm. like I am an able-bodied person that's able to do that. But at the same time, yeah. like I, I do that once a week. I get as much yes. as I possibly can. But for the most part, I eat bodega food. My, yeah. my, I mean, that's what I do. Like We got like bodega kale. It's kale that's just yeah. been around, seen better days, but we eat it anyway.
2: <laughs> bodega kale. All right, that's a good one. You know, yeah, you like might, we, you
0: it's, it's, we, we, we use what we have. And that's yeah. what I mean the, in this, these neighborhoods, there's a misconception that these are unhealthy neighborhoods, these black and brown neighborhoods. They are so rich in collective wellness and community yeah. wellness. You're talking about a community of people that take care of each other. This yeah. idea that we are not healthy because we don't have teas, tonics, tinctures, that, it, that's all self-optimization. It's not necessary for actually being a healthy person. You can go out—healthy food, water, air, sunlight, movement, purpose— Pretty simple, pretty simple stuff. These things are all possible everywhere, right? It's not, um, you know, it's not, this is my neighborhood. This is where I live. This is where I can afford to live. Like, I I can get sunlight. I can move my body because I have the privilege to be able to do that, right? But like- I can't do, what can I do about there being food in my neighborhood? I mean, I I mean, I write plenty of letters and we're working on it. We're doing what we can to, yes. to, to make a difference in this neighborhood in particular, because this is where I live. But this is a well place, yeah. you know? It's
2: also where Mike Tyson came from. So, well, you know, I'm always going to look at East, like, and, you know, this. Yeah, Tyson comes, so.
0: I just always yeah. think for me, it's like I'm only as well as my neighborhood as well. And yeah. so it's very important for me to never feel like, oh, I'm good. So if you're good today, because you had a green juice. No, did my neighbor have a green juice? Yeah. Did my um, neighbor, does my neighbor have access to food? Like we have nothing but fast food. That's on purpose. It's yeah. nothing but liquor stores, fast food restaurants, right? Retail redlining is a real thing, you know? Yeah,
2: they definitely, and this links back. And that's why I call them uh, food, food apartheid. And, you know, the one who taught me that term was Miss Karen Washington, this amazing food activist in the Bronx. It's like the queen and she's like, you know, and it's just like, sometimes you got to be around other people and be inspired. And she's like, no, Marcus this is a not food desert and you should know better. You come from the desert. And you know, she just went in on me and I said, queen, you're right. You know what I mean?
0: Food desert proposes that there isn't food and there mm-hmm. is. There is mm-hmm. food, right, and yeah. so and that that's that's that idea, and that's a whole other supply chain issue conversation that I think I need a lot more people need to be having. To um, is just understanding the need. There is need. There is a want for healthy food in a, in a black and brown neighborhood.
2: So so um, you came back to to New York. You starting it because I do think we are at a pivotal moment right now where uh, you know unemployment is going to go sc- skyrocket through the roof, but I think. One thing as an immigrant and maybe also being as adopted is that you, you, you never, there's not a blanket for you. You have to, whatever is in front of you, you got to start it. You got to create it. And there's basically no safety net, right? So in many ways, I feel like black people, if you're healthy and, and, and and immigrants in many ways can have an advantage in this moment because we never really relied on safety. So I also want to, push out a positive message out there. So, you know, tell us speak us a little bit about dare and guts and I'm starting, you know what I mean? Because that's, people need positive messaging right now because people are scared, you know?
0: Yeah, oh man, I, this is my wheelhouse. Cause I mean, you're, you, you know, the thing is, is you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're right on time. Every opportunity, mm-hmm. like every moment is an opportunity is how I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there needs to be this really good conversation with fear. You really need to have a good sit down conversation with your fear because sometimes you're gonna have fear and you're gonna have to just do it anyway. You're going to have anxiety and you still got to do it. I think that every single moment that I used to like oh my gosh, I'm public speaking about this. Like are people going to like of course I'm scared. Of course I'm afraid that it's not going to work out. But like that you got you just have to show up for yourself and do it anyway. If I were to just sit around and think about maybe doing this or maybe talking about this or maybe trying these recipes or maybe doing th- something online or worried about what another person thinks, then then what? So yeah. I do think it's just like pulling the lever on like, you have a first off, no one's going to be able to say anything the way that you can. You are an individual. There is never going to be another you. that You are the most special thing that there is because you're wow. you. Uh, so your perspective is valuable and it matters. And I also like, I want to hear it. I, there's nothing that inspires me more than stories. Stories are, are sort of the why we want food in general. Like you, you have one life and you have to make this, we're only here one time. You gotta really make it matter, you know? Like jump out, live the best life you possibly can. And I think yeah. in so many ways, like again, black and brown people oppressed, but you gotta go for it. You gotta try, you know? And I, I think the living in fear thing is something I hear about all the time. So far, I've been thinking about getting into food. I've been thinking about doing this. Your yeah. thoughts, your thoughts don't always translate into actions. So you have to make sure that you are actually going for it and you're doing something. And make your life very verb heavy, you know? Like, go for it. Because I I know what failure feels like. And also, like, be prepared for no. Like, I'm always prepared for someone to say no. Because it's, in my mind, it's not a, I guess this is not the way that it's going to work. We'll have to try something else. We'll have to go another way. The same in the kitchen. Like, who says risottos with arborio rice? Bye, like yeah. whatever you have can work. You can make something delicious with you can, five ingredients. Give me mean, what they are, I promise you, I can make something delicious with them. Nice, you know, nice. and that's the, that's what people that's what people you don't have to be where you came from. Mm-hmm. In fact, many people are born with broken compasses. My compass was fully broken and I threw mine away many years ago. And now I have a new one and it works. So so um, I want. I just want
2: to ask as chefs or as people that work for, with food, we always look for Food that we love and the combinations, and we, we can be scrappy with it. You know, I have a lot of different backgrounds in my culture. You have a lot of different backgrounds in your culture. Why do you think we still struggle? We can send people to the moon, but why do you think? What is the fear? The the ultimate fear of marginalized people. What do you think the other side is fearful of? Do you think black people? They they think black people is going to take over, do what's done to them, like as If you just want best practice, what does this inner fear come from? How do you see that as someone that sees the world and are from many cultures?
0: Oh, what a question. Wow, you know, it's what I don't, I mean, I do know. I guess I do know. I mean, there's so much to be, it's it's, things that you don't understand can seem scary, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that there is this sort of like, when we're looking at the system itself and who benefits from it and who's oppressed by it, um, yeah. And and when we stay in this form, you see the thing about white supremacy and that, that idea that white people are more important or elevated, it's dangerous for everybody. It's not good mm-hmm. for anybody. This idea yeah. that anyone is better, right? This idea that I'm mm-hmm. better um, is also not healthy because you're not. So it, it creates mm-hmm. ideation of delusion. And then the yes. idea of oppressed people, we see oppressed, we see issues about worth. We mm-hmm. see issues in like black and brown people feeling worthy of greatness. Like, mm-hmm. do I even deserve it? Because I see such... So few. The only way you can be successful as a black or brown person is if you're, you know, Beyonce uh, or Michael Jordan, right? And so I just think it's like this sort of fear of how awesome I can be, fear of not being the best forever. I do think there's this idea of like, and I mean, talking with like some of my white friends, she's like, uh, one of my friends, Amy, she's like, you know, I feel like when I look at it, it's really this intense fear of just not having everything, you know? And she's like, and I wow. and I and I and I was blown away by that admission. But I
2: pr- I appreciate that she she really is, very owns it and speaks about it, right? Yeah. Because I I, I I always wonder, like, what do you think is going to happen? All we want is like a square table where it's like an equal starting point, and then we'll go in and we'll figure it out, and we're not kicking anyone out. Like, look, that's, yeah, I mean, that's but, not like you know.
0: Yeah, but Marcus, it's the thing. Equality feels like oppression when mm-hmm. you're privileged. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. when you're a privileged person, equality doesn't feel good because that means you're going to get said no to. That means yeah. you've got to step Hello. aside. Yes, that means you have to step aside and let a black and brown marginalized person own a restaurant, not you. Yeah. It yeah. means that I understand you want to move into this neighborhood because the prices are cheap, but this yeah. neighborhood is it, it's priced this way for a reason, yeah. you know? And so, uh, you know, it was a really interesting conversation to have with a white woman for her to say. I mm. think that a lot of it comes from like, Just having to admit that I don't get everything, that not not everything's going to go my way, you know, and that's really tough. Uh, I also think, you know, I mean, I can't say I am not a white person, so I can't I can't speak on behalf of all white people on what that fear is and where that fear comes from. Um, I think sometimes there's this weird shame around historically how black and brown people have been treated. I have spoken to white friends that say like, I just feel so ashamed of it. Like, I feel so mm-hmm. bad. I mean, we see this in South Africa. Hello, yeah, you know, it's not the first time.
2: But I want to say, I want to be uh, precious timed, time. So I want to say thanks a million. I'm so proud of you and you're a true inspiration. Uh, for so many people. And you come from a lineage. If you think about what Black women have done to food in America, from Thomas Jefferson's enslaved and Edu to Miss Leah Chase and now to yourself. Oh so you, my gosh. People Thank are you. watching this. And I do think this is amazing what you do. And keep cooking and um, yeah, put East New York on the map.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're working. We're doing as much as we can. Good. Thank you so much. So much.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, okay. of course. Bye.
0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at
3: OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues
1: Sophia Rowe, such an eloquent voice uh, and thinker. I love how that she connects the dots between, you know, food and equality. For example, uh, tell me a little bit of a, a little bit more about. I mean, because this is new info to me. The difference between, you know, is mind blowing for me to hear that that no, a food desert uh, is a place where there. Where food doesn't exist, but the term food desert, which is a relatively new term, a relatively modern term, actually is an inadequate description of what it is because it's like saying that you're in the forest, but there are no trees. I mean, there is actually food. It's just that uh, people aren't given access to it. So food apartheid is a whole new term for me.
2: It's a whole other level. And the person that really taught me that these differences is this incredible woman that we're going to have on this, uh, this moment later on, Ms. Karen Washington. But it really speaks to how it's linked back to Jim Crow's and laws and how, how access to healthy food uh, is completely ripped out of our communities. And I think it's even more powerful than for Cefiero, because she could live anywhere in New York to post up in East New York, to build her studio in her apartment, to jump to train to go to the healthy farmer's market in the city, but still come out as a health advocate, right? Talking about having your 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 odds stacked against you, but still pushing through. And you know, also what I find inspirational with her, you know, she's a foster child and there's a lot of other things and she's a mixed child between Japanese and, and black culture. And through all of that, her journey of finding herself and her strengths that she she offers us comes out in her food, comes out in her push through. And I think as our food world is now doing major changes in America, and we talk about food equality and food equity and learning about authorship of African-American food and black black food in the world, Sophia is the leader of that. And, um, and I'm really proud and I'm, I'm excited
1: to watch her journey. I think it's beautiful too that when it comes to food as you know which is your kind of core arena your your kind of core universe even though you truly are just like sophia a renaissance person with uh, with a wide range of interests and skills and talents but comparing food the international the internationalness the global uh, the globalness of food it's really way it's so many steps ahead of of music in a sense, because people will be open to try these new uh, fusion combinations and these new and exciting foods, be it Afghan or be it Japanese Brazilian or Japanese Peruvian way earlier than they're ready for the same kind of uh, 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 intrepidness when it comes to music. Right. And it's, it's almost like there's a, I mean, like, for example, I know that when Drake uh, started doing a few dance hall tracks and, and it kind of, you know, was sounding like he was he was spitting in Patois, people were checking him on it. Like, you're not, you know, you're not from the Caribbean. Why are you spitting in Patois? Like me myself, I could never do that. And kind of uh, uh, re- I couldn't represent that because it's not me or I couldn't. Uh, I, I don't think I would maybe go out and sing, you know, Bossa Nova in Portuguese, you know, if that wasn't me. There's this like uh, authenticity demand when it comes to music that in food just seems a little freer. Is that correct?
2: Well, it's, we're navigating through the space. We're having those conversations right now about uh, authorship of that. And actually something we talk a lot about in the book, The Rise and, and Sophia, uh, so some people break stone breaks down those barrier uh, better than uh, others. And I just think she's such an in- incredible example, but she also represents to me, uh, blackness is not linear and blackness is not monolithic. Listen, on the world stage, Obama taught us that, that you could be African-American mm-hmm. and a, lin- a linkage to Kenya in a way, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: With mm-hmm. Kamala, to the world, you were gonna learn about being, how can you be an Indian-American, <laughs> indian Uh, connectivity and Caribbean and being American. So we we need, we know as black people that we all come from that diaspora is very, very mixed. But it's also great when people get out in the world and start to see that non-linear journey. And Sophia represent that. um, And I think there's, anytime you can hear new voices of blackness in creative space, I'm always for it because it creates another narrative that we're so missing.
1: And true, positive, global perspective.
2: Exactly.
1: You know, being truly being a citizen of the world.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
1: I've got to go pick up, Marcus, a uh, 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 future citizen of the world. My daughter, yes. Maxime, is at a new daycare, th- which means I have to pick her up at three sharp. You I don't want to get dirty looks from the teachers. So Marcus, I got to be out. But before I go, promise me that next week we have to talk, uh, we have to talk Wisconsin. We got to talk NBA. We got to talk about uh, the unending stream of, of police violence in the United States and in the world.
2: I agree. Absolutely.
1: Marcus, until next week, brother. All right, go, 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 go. Peace, Peace.